So the person that I've become from that person that walked through her door in 1996 is physically different, emotionally, spiritually different. I am a living miracle. I do not say that from ego. I say that as casually as the sun comes up in the morning and the sun sets at night. I am a living miracle. We had miracle after miracle after miracle happen as we worked. Mm. So this is what I've been told over and over. As I have breathed in the soul energy of who I am, I have breathed in Jesus and Kuan Yin. Mm, I am the energy, the embodiment of these beings that have walked with me. Absolutely. And people can no longer just channel the energy. They must be, be the, energy. the energy. Be. And I've been shown that there are light sources all over the planet that are awakening and allowing the shift because it cannot be done from the outside in. It must be done from the inside out. As each human awakens and makes the choice, it ripples upon the earth and our energy goes down into Mother Earth and we can make a difference. We can change the air currents. We can change the energy on this planet and heal this planet. And that's what the end of my you got to accentuate the positive. Wow! I feel good. A little bit of feel good goes a long way. You're listening to Karen Swain, teacher of deliberate creation, accentuating the positive, showing you a way to a better life. Accentuating the positive, it's not just bad, it's sanity. Who in their right mind would accentuate anything else? If you feel like that's what you want to do. Hello. Hello and welcome to another show, Accentuating the Positive with Karen Swain. As always, wonderful to be with you again. And please remember, if you're enjoying our conversations, to like and subscribe and leave a comment. And when you do, the algorithms on all the platforms you're listening to this does allow other people to see it too. It's I don't know how it works, but that's how it works. The more comments and the more likes you get, the the more the platforms sort of share it around. I have an extraordinary person to introduce you to today. Her name is Serena Faith Masterton. Welcome to the show, Serena. Thank you so much, Karen, for having me, truly. I know, she has the most beautiful voice. If you're listening to this audio, Serena's voice is so hypnotic. I was listening to you on another conversation last night with yet another Australian. You were speaking to... Uh, yes. What was her name? Marissa? Marissa Calvi. Marissa Calvi. And where is she in Australia? She's in Sydney. Ah, she's in Sydney as well. There you go. Mm-hmm. And I was listening to your voice. It was so beautiful and hypnotic. It was, I was just thinking, wow, this woman has such a great radio voice. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I never thought of that. <laughs> but your, your story and uh, book are just fascinating. And the gorgeous Tanya, who I had on the show last week, introduced me to you she was telling me before we had our conversation for the show she was telling me all about you and um, I think she gave me your email so thank you thank you Tanya that was gorgeous of her let me read your bio and we'll get into your story so Serena Faith Marston was raised in a satanic cult and subject from infancy to covert mind control experiments aimed at splitting her identity Serena Faith Masterson developed 
over 300 unique personalities in her courageous fight to stay sane and alive. In her 40s, unaware of how different she was, losing her children to foster care and desperate to bring them home again, uh, helped her embark on a program of self-healing. Norma Delaney, who is an energy facilitator in partnership with Spirit, helped Serena discover unconditional love for the first time. With Norma's infinite compassion combined with her unbending commitment, she taught Serena how to love herself again unconditionally. Serena's memoir, I Am Serena, is a remarkable and inspiring true story of her recovery from dissociative identity disorder. It is an engrossing, sometimes nail-biting account of her 20-year struggle to achieve personality integration, and it is a story of triumph. Serena leads her reader through the counselling sessions with Norma, her experiences, and the profound insights which brought about her transformation, sharing along the way the compassionate and spiritual wisdom that illuminated the light of her soul in the darkness of her life. Today, Serena lives in Colorado, working in the banking industry, and maintains a normal lifestyle, enjoying a close relationship with her three sons. This is a little excerpt from the book, which is on your website, I was reading last night. Uh, when you first met Norma, so you say, Norma's face is aglow with love as she responds. I work with compassionate energy that seems to know how to do things beyond what the human part of me knows. I call it spirit or the psychic realm. I have been working in that medium for many years. I truly believe there is no illness that spirit cannot assist a person in healing. Absolutely. I agree with Norma. <laughs> I just love the way she put that. I just thought, wow, I think that speaks to, I think that speaks to many healers that work in this realm, you know, that work with spirit as you do. And your yes. website is IamSerena.net. Yes. So can we walk through some of the experiences that you had as a child, what you sure. remember? Sure. Well, I remember starting at three days old. I even remember being born. Oh. So, yes. So at three days old, the training started. My father was the head of a satanic cult. And my birth mother was, she was not an intentional participant in the beginning, but because she had married him and she was such a victim herself, she fell into line, so to speak, because my, my father was a cruel, evil human being. And so at three days old, he laid me out in the grass to see the type of personality I was. And he laid me there and then he stepped back and he watched me to see how I would respond. And as I grew hungry and cold, because I had no clothes on except a diaper, and I cried and cried and then I would scream into the night and the energy, the small amount of energy that was in my body started to look for something warm and went into him and identified with that energy of warmth. And then the body would go unconscious and he'd come over and he'd kick it to wake it up. And this went on for hours. And 
people have said to me since my book has been out, but how did you remember something like that? Well, the soul of me, always the wisdom, the brilliance of who I truly am, wanted to be done with the game of fear. So we had lived soul wisdom, thousands of lifetimes stuck. And it was like, let's just go for the whole enchilada. Let's do it so big that we can't ignore the fear. We can't ignore this game of darkness on this planet. And the light beings that have always been on this journey with me, they were like, mm, are you sure this is going to be a really difficult journey? And it was like, yes, I'm sure. So before my birth, Norma, the soul of Norma, committed to the soul of me that she would work with me to help me integrate and heal. So I always knew I would be a multiple personality, that that would be, she was so loving. When we were working one day, she said, you know, when you go on a trip, you take a suitcase. And in the suitcase, you have everything that you need to go on your trip. And I used to go, oh my God, this lady has some of the weirdest explanations, you know? <laughs> and she'd say, so you, you had everything you needed to survive and stay sane because that was what the choice of your soul was. And at the time, she said it was the choice of your fairy godmother. And I was like, okay, because it's important for people to know that all the different parts of me were children. None of them were older than three or four years old emotionally. Yeah. Even though they might pretend to be 33 or 17 or whatever, they were all little children pretending to be adults. And so Norma knew that at a very innate le uh, level. She could see all the different parts of me. She could see Robbie and Toby and Charlotte and Daniel. And she could see Roberta and Mildred and Priscilla and all the different mothers. And so she could respond very easily when one person walked in and then they left and another person came. She began to know them by their energetic fingerprints, so to speak. Yeah, energetic signature or energetic stamp, it's been called. Yeah, interesting. Okay, okay. Uh, <laughs> this is such a huge story. Okay, so, so through the sessions that you had with Norma, you experienced your soul planning session for this particular lifetime. Is, is that correct? Well, Yes. She gently said, well, what does your fairy godmother say to you? What does your later on, what does your soul say to you? She was inviting me to realize that this brilliance that I was, wasn't somebody else over there or up there or that it was me. Mm -hmm. But in the beginning, I couldn't grasp that. I was too fragmented. Mm -hmm. um, I was 41 when I started to work with her. And I had been in the psychiatric community trying so hard to heal for 10 years. I lived in a hospital setting for eight months straight. I went into a 28-day program for dissociative identity disorder to get fixed. <laughs> yeah. And I, I really did. I believed I hung on until my twin's 12th birthday the day after because their birthday was August 10th and 11th. I went in on the 12th. And I really believed, and the eye that is speaking to you now was not there. 
it was it was like a a collection of consciousnesses and the host person was sabrina and she was born into the body at eight months old when my father put the the baby in the toolbox and then put it into a hole and my and these are very light memories believe it or not um, and my energy left and my soul energy was birthed as sabrina at that point and she became the spokesperson for the whole of everyone. And she was the one that went into the hospital in the hopes that we'd get fixed in 28 days so that we could care for our three sons. And instead it began the process that was beyond anything I could imagine because I ended up staying in the hospital for eight months straight and my sons were put into foster care. So this journey has been very up and down, very volatile, very, very difficult. Can I ask, what happened to your parents? Um, my birth mother, when I went into the hospital in 1993, by 1994, my doctor, who was a top-notch doctor in the field of dissociative disorders, he said, he suggested that I maybe stop interacting with her. Now, I, at that point, believed that my father had been out of my life since I was five years old. And I later found out that was not true. Um, but he, I don't have any interaction with him whatsoever. Haven't had since my 20s. Are they both still alive? No, the birth mother has died, but right. he is still alive. Mother. I love how you said it. The birth mother. Okay. So well, Norma is my mother in every way, shape, and form. So it, I have to be real clear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, all right. So, do you remember? I suppose you said at three days old. Do you remember when you like left the body and like gathered the tribe? <laughs> Come on, guys. We're going to do this together. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, how, how old were you? Well, I was in my 20s when things started to fall apart, so to speak. But you have, let me explain dissociative identity disorder to you, okay? There is like um, a paragram of this is light dissociative, I, dissociative abilities. Everyone, every human being is dissociative. Yeah. For instance, if you drive down the freeway and you're thinking of everything else and all of a sudden you come to your exit and it's like, whoa, and you get off. Then there are some people that are mildly or pretty dissociative. I was on the very far end of dissociation. First of all, to have 327 distinct named personalities was unusual. Mm -hmm. The only reason I know all their names is because I began to journal and take notes from the tape recorder sessions that I would listen to because when I was diagnosed in 92, I would go into the therapist's office and a minute later I would be ushered out and I would be very upset and I would be told, oh, you've been here the full hour. And so I started taking a cassette tape and recording every session. So I have hundreds of cassette tapes. I have hundreds of notebooks 
And I started to write down every single name that it would appear and talk to the doctors. Right. And I didn't believe it. All the parts of me didn't even know of the other parts of them. Yeah. So I didn't even know that I lost time. Not until I was living in my little house in Colorado. And I'd been working with Norma probably at a good 10 years. And I said to her, do you know how long a day is? And she just laughed. She said, that is a statement of healing. And I said, but it, it lasts so long. And she said, yes, Serena, that's what most human beings experience. They get up in the morning and they're present throughout their day. And I was really surprised. I lived in a fantasy world with a meadow and a six-story bright yellow house and all the kids lived in the house not the monsters and not the dark dark people but all the kids and all the different mothers that would take care of the children and i had multiple mothers that took care of my three boys too yeah yeah i, I yeah i remember hearing you say on either tanya show or or um Sorry, I've forgotten the other lady's show. Marissa. Marissa Correct. show that uh, you were talking to a real estate or something saying your, your boy said that, you know, you weren't there for them. And you said, no, I mothered you up until 10. And, and they said, you didn't mother us. <laughs> you know, other mothers mothered yes. us with your body, but it wasn't you. Yeah. Yes, because my youngest son, he has always been so honest with me. And he just was like, but mom, you weren't there. It yeah. was somebody else. You see, when I talk about Robbie and him running up and down the aisles of Target saying, come see the toys, in the very beginning when I had been diagnosed and I didn't believe it, I see, even to this day, Robbie running up and down the aisles. I do not see a woman's body. When I write in the book about Toby going to a restaurant with Norma. Okay, it, okay, okay. We have to back up here because um, it's getting confusing. So Robbie is not your son. Robbie, no, is, Robbie a is a personality. Okay, yes. so I'm thinking you're talking about your son running up and down. Okay, so no. when you see Robbie, one of the personalities, which is a child, running up the, the aisles of Target, um, you're feeling like you're in a little boy's, you see a little boy running up, like, I see. not a woman's body. Right. So when you have memories of your kids having birthdays or whatever, you see yourself as the mother taking care of your kids. Well, I don't, in many ways, my memories still have that personality in my memory bank as how it happened because it was so vivid to me. It was so real to me and it had to be for me to survive what I experienced for years okay so going back to that question that i asked you about when did the personality split and you know the tribe come you don't remember how old you were when that was formulated or that was a period a long sure. period of times but but you discovered it as your conscious understanding when you're in your 20s like it happened but you were not really aware that it was happening and then when you started healing you got a better sense of what had been happening no no so let me no so i started splitting at two months old i was electrocuted mm -hmm. i was smothered i had extreme trauma i was starved i wasn't touched for hours on end mm -hmm. 
So even in the beginning, I started to have splits of fragments of consciousness, of awareness. Not the energy didn't want to come into the body. The body was being brutalized. Yeah. Yes. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Nothing was left to chance. Going to the bathroom, eating, sleeping, walking, crawling, sitting on a kitchen table at two months old and moving my hands and feet and getting them slapped every single time so that I learned not to move my body. So there was fragmentation of consciousness even before personalities were born. Mm-hmm. Energy didn't come into the body as an identity. This is what is so hard for people to grasp. There was not an identity. There were pieces of consciousness that learned to cope and function. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. You know, I'm thinking of another story. Oh, I don't know if it was on my show or somebody else's, um, of a woman that was raped and she wasn't in the body experiencing the rape, mm-hmm. even though the body was, you know, animated. She was above watching it and yes. not feeling any pain and going, oh, that doesn't look nice. But, you know, just just sort of before. And a lot of people say that when you die, um, you know, terrible deaths, that the consciousness will just step out before any pain. is. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So we can come and go at will. So you've obviously stepped out like, well, I'm not having this. And, um, but so I energetically would step away, step back. And what happened was that became the way to live. The trouble was the child that was watching it would go, well, that's not me. Yeah. I don't care. I don't care. Now, remember this is extreme. So I might have 20 different personalities birthed through one experience because the trauma is so severe. And so there's the extreme victim. There's the one that doesn't care. There's the one that's filled with rage. There's the one that wants to please daddy. And so they all have their jobs. They all have their purpose to keep the body alive and sane. And so the body, this body didn't know all these parts didn't know about each other until, let's see, probably close to 40, okay? Yeah. There was so much dissociation, black walls between. Many times it was experienced like a wall of glass. So it was the brilliance of soul that kept me alive. It was this brilliance that that wrapped her arms around these different children and created the rageful part Mm -hmm. to hold the rage. It created the part that pretended it wasn't her, created the part that would watch and go, I don't care. I had personalities called I don't care. Mm -hmm. For instance, at three, I was tied to a tree and my father put honey all over me. And the hysteria going in all the parts of my body and so a personality was born that was an ant. It was an ant. It was crawling on the body with all the other ants and it didn't care. Isn't that brilliant? Oh, yeah. Oh, God. I, I can't even imagine what you're, wow, what you've been through. Wow. No. no, and I don't want people. My book is not to talk about the trauma. No, I know. It's to talk about the My, healing uh, the trauma part of it is just, you know, it's just fascinating. It's just, you know, from a, from but a. But the 
voyeuristic perspective. It's just fascinating. Uh, but, um, but the miracle that soul brilliance could take energy and continue to create it and create it and create it and create it so that by the time I met Norma, all the parts of me, I was energetically huge. I had yeah. a, a part that was called the beast. Mm -hmm. And when he came into the body, he was eight feet tall and he was huge. Daniel was 33 years old with blue eyes and curly blonde hair, and he was six foot two. Candy was 14 years old and she was skinny as a beanpole. I mean, every single personality was so distinctive, but it's what saved my life. Yeah. So um, you remember contracting this you remember setting this up before you come you remember yes. designing this i don't even creating this experience uh this lifetime that experience this lifetime and the healing and the teaching you know yes. like the whole of it the victim the, so, the, the being healed and then the teacher so there's sort of like several sections i chose to, to be born into the most evil place within the planet so Hitler brought in the darkest evil that had ever been on the planet. Even Genghis Khan couldn't match Hitler. So Joseph Mengele was one of his officials, one of his close people, and he created MKUltra. He was brought over by the CIA in the early 50s, and that program called MKUltra was created and my right. parents contracted me to that government you're a part program. of that wow yeah I, I yeah hitler um amplified the energy that energy on earth i don't know if he brought it here i think it was here and it amplified during his um during his time here he made it darker and thicker and more amplified it yeah here. yeah yes he allowed people to engage in it more he gave people's space and permission to just amplify it, to take it where other people had never taken it. Yeah, it just expanded. Yeah, yeah, which is interesting. So you're a part of that. Gee, wow. Okay, so the healing process. You met, how did Norma find you? How did you find Norma? <laughs> that is what's so perfect is I had read Cryon, the book that Cryon, Cryon. yes, wow. The End Times that Lee Carroll channeled. Yeah. And in that book, it resonated with me because Cryon speaks about how he honors humanity because we're so courageous and brave. We show up in these human costumes and whew, it's really an adventure, right? <laughs> right. And that resonated with me. And I wanted so much to go to a, a real actual seminar. And I was living with this man from the hospital program, this gentle giant. We pulled our disability checks. And then on the weekends, I'd bring my boys to his, his house. And he never would get mad at my sons. He loved my sons. And he said, well, let's go. And I said, we can't afford it. And he goes, I don't care. Let's go. And so I got up to the podium. Sabrina did, the host personality. And she just spoke honestly about how hopeless she was, that she didn't feel that all this work she'd been doing for 10 years and being in the hospital was, it was 
hopeless. It was endless. All she was experiencing was memories and she needed something more. She believed that there was something more. Now I didn't know the parts of me didn't know how psychic intuitive that channeling wasn't like everybody anybody could just talk to anybody on the other side it's just so easy peasy i didn't know you know and so i stood there shameless and shared with the, everyone and lee carroll he smiled and he pointed to his left and he said see that woman norma delaney i think she can help you and I will never forget, Karen, I looked at her and something went through me and I knew at a level that wasn't human and she came to me afterwards and she gave me her card and she said, I'm so sorry, but you know, I don't live in Seattle. I live down in San Diego and I said, I live in Los Angeles. I could come see you. And so I started the process of working with her once every two weeks and then once every week. And then I moved down to Carlsbad after a few years and I was right next to her and she talked to me every day, sometimes seven, eight, 12 times a day. She talked to me in the wow. middle of the night. Yeah, I would wake up in absolute terror every morning. I don't know how to describe it. If you have ever felt terror, not fear, terror that is so mind-boggling you can barely breathe. And she would pick up the phone and she'd say, hello. And I would feel her energy and hear her voice. And I would know that there was another reality outside of the terror I had been living in. Even now, I just, my whole being sings with joyousness. You know, the first time I, I went to her house and I looked at her up and down because I was taking pictures of her. I really was like a computer. Mm -hmm. I lived so different than human beings can comprehend. And she smiled at me and she said, come in. And she patted the couch and she said, come sit next to me. And all the parts, oh no. And Sabrina wasn't there yet. She was watching. And the body sat down with her back against the wall. And one after another, like popcorn kernels, popped out talking to her and, you know, asking her questions. And Charlotte was like, I need to know, do you know how to work with a multiple personality? And switch, Roberta would come in and say, I've got to get my boys out of foster care. And then Priscilla would come in. And I mean, it was a revolving door of personalities. And Norma just sat there so still. And then Sabrina came out and she said, did that scare you? And Norma was like, no. Because Norma was in a space of, Look at the brilliance. Wow. Yeah. Look at what this soul has done. Yeah. To keep this person alive. And then Garrett walked through the, the front door and up jumped Robbie and he went running to Garrett. And he, so Garrett is Norma's husband. Yes. Right. And Robbie was four years old. And Robbie was a piece of the joy that was so integral to keeping us alive. He was joyous and he looked at Garrett 
wow, you're a boy just like me. And I didn't include in the book, he goes, I pee like you standing up. <laughs> but I didn't put that part in the book. But he was just enamored with Garrett. And Garrett, as the years went on, adored Robbie, just loved Robbie, you know, and that's how I could be close to him in the beginning. But there was such a sense of safety, stillness. Norma was so still. Her beingness radiated an energy of such compassion, comfort, that that very first meeting was so pivotal to the rest of our life. Yeah. So how many years ago was that when you first met Norma? March 29th, 1996. Oh, wow. Can I ask a question? I was telling a friend last night and he said, he asked this silly question. I just have to ask it. I said, you know, that I was going to have a conversation with you today. And he goes, wow, that must be confusing. What about when you're eating dinner and one personality is a vegan and the other one likes meat? Is it confusing? (laughs) These are the silly things that he thought of. And I thought, oh, I never thought about that. It's like... You serve up a steak and then part personality says, I can't eat this, I'm a vegan. Then another one pops in and goes, ooh, steak. <laughs> but that's you a- know what? That's, that's a perfect, perfect question. One of the first times that we worked together, um, to, Robbie said, I'm starving. And so Norma took him into the kitchen and made him half of a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And even before he was done, Priscilla came out she said, could, could I have something to eat? I'm so hungry. And Norma said, well, of course. And so she made another half of a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Then the next child came out and the next child came out. And finally, Norma realized, okay, I've got to stop this. <laughs> because there was no awareness of the body whatsoever. You know, and so yes, one can be a vegan. Like the body went into AA at 19 years old, but I have always wondered, has, did another part drink alcohol? Because I haven't had alcohol. The body hasn't since 19. But the soul was always, the def, definitive jobs everybody had, somebody had a job to eat a meal. Somebody had a job to get the clothes on. Another person had a job to brush the teeth. There were Mildred and and Amelia and Felicia and Sabrina and Roberta, and they were all the mothers. So Mildred did the housework, and Lorraine played with them, and Roberta was one of the nurturers as best she could. And so everybody had their job within the jobs. But Norma would tell me when she'd say, Serena, when I worked with these core children, they didn't even know how to hold a fork. They'd pick the fork up upside down and the food would fall out because I had been so abused all the time that I didn't even get natural, normal leadership guidance from my parents. When did you escape the family home how old were you when when did you leave um i was 18 years old but my my birth father divorced my mother when i was five so i had believed that he was no longer in the picture 
I remember that that was part of the acceptable story. And my mother was an alcoholic that when I was 17, she flipped out and had to have electric shot treatment and blah, blah, blah. And that was the story that I had believed until things started to unravel. So I left the house when I was 18 years old and lived with friends. But what I didn't know is I had parts of me that were trained to go to the cult meetings. And when I didn't show up, my father would send his goons to kidnap me. So it, my father would go like this and a part would come out. He'd go like this and Veronica would come out. He would touch parts of the body and different parts would come out. And when I found notes and notes from my parents and they called me different names, I mean, I have everything detailed. I have a book with all these different notes, J. Lucy Bell, J. Bird, um, Robbie, different names that my parents initially called me. When I was three, my mother said, I don't like Jennifer. She's such a bad girl and she's looking all over the room. And she looks at Jennifer and Jennifer's been in a high chair. She's not quite three and she's so hungry and crying. And then Tria, I mean, Lois, my birth mother says, she looks at, she looks around and she goes, but I love Jay Lucy Bell. She's a good girl. And then her eyes land on me. She says, are you my Jay Lucy Bell? Switch, a new child is born. Yes, Mama. Okay. <clears throat> so your parents wanted this. They wanted this. Oh, yes. This. Oh, okay. So I, right. Okay. So I'm understanding this better. Uh, I thought that you split into all these personalities to survive the torture, but they tortured you to create the personalities. Yes. Right. They wanted. So the government was working in collusion. The government came to my parents' house in those first few years. And then my parents started taking me to government facilities, military bases. Okay. But they worked together. They wanted to take a brand new baby and see what they could do to split the identity, split the consciousness so they could control the human being. They mm -hmm. wanted to control me right. so completely that I was a robot. I really was a robot. Yeah. I was not feeling, I did not, I acted and pretended and respond, reacted in certain ways because I watched the people around me so I could figure out how to act. Um, I get a sense that you speak about like the personalities were created, but I get a sense that they were kind of already there in some astral realm and they came to play. With the, but like they're already, you know, like we can... No, uh, they, no. So the energy body of soul, uh -huh. okay, in order to keep me alive, there's always the physical body, some of the soul energy in the body or the body would have died. But most of my soul energy was outside of my body. Yeah. My body was filled with the energy of fear. Mm -hmm. My soul intentionally used death energy layer after layer to keep me alive because the brutality of actual physical torture would have destroyed and broken my tissues down. I was electrocuted for years, years. Okay. That's just one thing. So 
use your imagination. I'm not going to go into it, but soul created personalities. For instance, when I was in a chair and I'm four years old and I'm being electrocuted and they've got this board that they ride on because they're training me to be Korean. And the child stares at a toggle bolt that has, that holds the legs together and toggle bolt is born. And toggle bolt's job is to hold a space where there is no feeling, where there is just this. And so the hypnosis of it, the, the brilliance of it, but it was soul always creating soul creating ah i see so do you think uh serena that in a very small sense we all do this to yes some, yes okay it's just that that yes. because of the extreme nature of your experience it was extreme whereas most yes. people you know well some people have a lot of trauma some people less but we're all creating multiples Yes, we're, we're all multiple aspect of in our the, personalities all yes, the time. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So let's say a mother has her little three-year-old son and he's racing all over the house and she grabs him and she says, just stop for a minute. Now, how many kids have had that experience? And the child goes <gasps> in fear and reacts and energetically steps back. That creates an aspect of experience. It's experience that depending on if that happens 25 times or just once mm -hmm. if it's once it probably is not going to alter that person's life mm -hmm. but if it happens repeatedly where that mother says i can't stand you shut up stop running around the child begins to step back and energetically not be in the body and there's an aspect of personality a wounded child that just doesn't show up anymore. Mm -hmm. And Norma used to say, it's like the brilliance of soul knows to take, because a three-year-old child doesn't know how to deal with that wounded feelings. Mm -hmm. So the soul says, let me put this energy, this wounded memory, this experience in a baggie. We're going to put it in the refrigerator until you're old enough to come and take that part of you back into the greatness of who you are. You see, integration is into the greatness of who I am. Mm, Isn't mm. that just spectacular? Spectacular. Integration. Yes. Integration. Into the greatness of The greatness of, who I am. of. Yes. And so my soul and Kuan Yin, through the wisdom, brilliance of mom, Norma, Norma, mom, yeah. taught, taught, and learned, we learned how to integrate, not the hospital, the psychiatric community's terminology of integration, but integration birthed from higher consciousness. Absolutely. And that's where the magic is, Karen, that's it, where the magic is. Absolutely. And, and I think that at some, in this time in history, we're all doing that. Mm -hmm. we're, we're all doing that. We're integrating not only personalities and wounded aspects of the self from this lifetime, but from many lifetimes. Yes. Um, yes. I've you, done many lifetimes this lifetime. All yeah. And mm -hmm. as we do integrate and re-identify, you know, with spirit, with soul, 
instead of with the wounded aspects of self, uh, then the world changes, you know. I feel like you've done so yes. much work for the world, not just for your own life, but for the world. I feel like you've like yes, you've taken on this huge, you know, and as, as you've integrated, I don't even know if that's the right word, but as you've re-identified with soul as opposed to all the little personalities created, because we're all mm-hmm. creating personality all the time as we've discussed, uh yeah you yeah let me share this with you because you have touched on something so what i learned was there was a group of entities working with norma and i to bring about my integration norma didn't know what even the word integration meant when we met so yeshua and Mary Magdalene and Mary and Kuan Yin, the Brotherhood of Light, mm-hmm. St. Germain's, Zarathustra, so many of them all together to help us walk. And a few years ago, Jesus came and he said to me while mom and I were working, and I, I apologize because Norma is my mom, and yeah. she, he said, you have cracked the veil on man's unconsciousness this work is a miracle and so boy my phone is going crazy is it (laughs) yeah and so the miracle was the ego is gone this work of choice can we hang on that's that is norma hang on okay one second okay i'll just pause pause it that's okay just had to start, take a pause for a minute because Norma called. She can feel us talking about her. Yes, yes. The love that she and I have is so profound. And um, so she started to take this, this message of integration out into the world. And that is part of what has helped because there are people all over the world now that have been able to integrate their wounded parts, their heart that has been broken by some incident or experience, and they've set themselves free, not just from this lifetime, but many lifetimes. And that's the miracle, because it's funny, when she would have webcasts, she and Garrett would have these webcasts the first Sunday of every month, and people would come, and I started to be allowed to go, because I had lived in my little house for seven years without contact with anyone but Norma. Mm. seven years not even your sons not even my sons no Mm. a very deep commitment and so she said okay now you can start going to these webcasts and I'd go and people would come up to me and go you're Serena and I'd go yeah and I didn't know that she had been talking about our work all over the world (laughs) right (laughs) yeah she um she celebrated this work. She said she felt she was like an, she was in a university program. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, as a young mother, I had done some training and healing and health and psychology, and I understood the fragility of the human consciousness and how, you know, we formulate these aspects of self growing up and in every lifetime. And, and I remember directly seeing my daughter formulate an unworthiness aspect. She was a brilliant artist. She was really young. And as her mother, I was always telling her that she was brilliant and, and beautiful and magnificent and, you know, giving her 
positive affirmations. I remember studying it at school, saying that, hearing that a child by the age of five has had literally millions of negative affirmations. Don't do that. Don't be stupid. You're stupid. Shut up. Be quiet. You know, like, and so I made a, a point of, of drowning her in positive affirmations. And she painted a teapot, which I've still got today. And she had done much better, but she showed me this teapot and she said, what do you think? And I said, that's nice, but you've done better than that, right? That's what I said. I was like, you've done. And I saw her, I saw her break in that moment. Instead of saying, it's magnificent. I said, it's good, but you can do better than that. You know, because I'd seen other work that was much more intricate, just better, you know, just more creative. And um, yep. And that was the moment where I'm not good enough started for her. Isn't it interesting? And it can yes. start by being electrocuted and drowned and, or it can be just a passing comment. But mm. um, at the same time, I, I couldn't beat myself up for that because mm-hmm. the soul elects to, you know, go through that as part of. Well, it's the, part of the contract. The yes. contract, the human experience. Yeah. Because yeah. remember, mass consciousness is I could have done it better. I should have known I'm bad. I'm worthless. I could, you know, it's mass consciousness. It's part of what we are born into because the Atlantean energy that was brought to this planet intentionally to bring light and dark so that we could choose to be the God self that we truly are. See, that's what my name means. I was born Jennifer. But a few months before I met Norma, my soul said, I want you to change your name. But I didn't know it was my soul. I always had this awareness. And it said, we need to change the name to Serena Faith Masterson because Jennifer is too much of a victim and we want to heal. And I went, okay, so go and legally change your name. And you see, my name means Serene Faith Master the Christ Within. Beautiful. But we're all gods. We are all, but that's what this planet is about. Can we remember the truth of who we are? Not this mind that says, you need to do it better. Hurry, hurry, hurry. And Norma, in her brilliance, she said, I want you to take a notebook out. I want you to draw a line down the middle of the page. And on the left-hand side, I want you to write what your mind is telling you. And notice How does that make you feel? Do you feel warm and safe? Or do you feel harassed and anxious and afraid? And on the right-hand side, I want you to write what your soul is telling you. And my soul was always saying, I'm so proud of you. You're doing wonderfully. And I would say, how can you tell me that? I'm this, this, and this. Because, Serena, I know the truth of who you are. I love you. You are magnificent just as you are. And it took years for me to realize that was the truth. But it was a breath at a time. And one time when Norma and I were working, she said, you know what? You continue to believe your mind. And that's insulting to me. You know, yeah, that's compassion in its brilliance. Because she wasn't always, she was, you know what? You don't like the truth. Stop fighting me. She'd even say to me sometimes, shut up, little girl. (laughs) And I'd go, what? You know, because, you know, after all the years we worked, it was a lot. 
it was an honest interaction and she'd say you don't like the truth you run from it and so i slowly began to feel the truth know the truth know the difference between what my mind was telling me and what my soul energy was telling me it was a gradual you know i used to compare and feel like my multiplicity was like a humongous ball of rubber bands and if you pulled one rubber band just too much the whole thing would explode from the pressure of it but my brilliance my soul knew when to pull just this piece of the memory out it wasn't always the whole thing it was a piece you know your mom and dad they couldn't love you they didn't know what love was about mm. oh so a little drop and god bless garrett he'd sit there and he'd, he'd she'd get off the phone with him she'd tell me this years later and he'd go how in the world could you repeat the same thing over and over and over again and, and mom would look at him and she'd go but i was talking to fred to, to different you know? personalities yeah <laughs> you know bless garrett because you know it was hard on him he made a commitment to stand with norma and when they moved to colorado they brought me with them they packed up my house and they brought me with them. Wow. And they found this little house and I've lived in this house for almost 20 years Wow! and created a safe cocoon where I could truly begin to be birthed as Serena. You see the Serena consciousness wasn't in the body at all. There was no consciousness called Serena. And she's the teacher. I am the, I am the whole thing now. The whole thing. Yes, there are no more personalities. There's just me. And the miracle is, you know, about a year and a half ago, I started telling people at the bank that I had written a book and that I was trying to get it published. And for me, it was like letting me out of prison because I had always felt like this life was my secret life. Not one person rejected me. They were surprised. Oh, yeah, I used to be a multiple personality. Do you know what that means? <laughs> and then my book came out. And nobody has said, this is an awful book. Everyone, people all in Evergreen have been reading my book and saying, this is profound. Mm. It's touching me deeply. Now, there are customers that know me and they go, oh, you wrote a book? Oh, that's great and they don't want anything to do with it but you know what i know they're not supposed to yeah definitely you yeah know? yeah yeah i do look i've had many people on the show who have had very normal lives and then spirit has woken them up or struck them and they've written books which are seemingly out there for the mainstream audience and uh, you know one was a corporate lawyer for 36 years and he's flying around the universe with his spirit guide writing all about his adventures and I, you know his corporate banking buddies just couldn't cope with that well my my branch manager just today he's like he goes so when you were in the restaurant with as toby and you had to go to the bathroom did norma not want you to go to the bathroom because you were going to go in the boys bathroom <laughs> 
you know, but there's a freedom, Karen, there's a freedom because people know me. So they know when I'm not in a good place because I cannot pretend. You can see me, you know me, and you know me very personally. And, you know, this is where maybe we want to talk about the truth of what Norma's going through for everyone. Sure, sure. Uh, I'd like to get into a little bit more about healing. Uh, I think that okay. that... Um, we can talk about both. I think that that, I think that that exercise she did with you with like write two columns on a piece of paper or on your computer and mm -hmm. what is your mind saying to you and then drop into your heart and what is your soul saying to you? I think that that is brilliant. I do that with clients all the time. In fact, just recently I was editing a show and, um, and the person on my show was very emotional and I'm in my editing mind. So I'm in mind, uh, you know, logical mind you know, thinking where to put what and, you know, blah, blah, blah. I mean, and, um, and the critical mind, I see her all the time, this critical part of me who I adore, like I love her. And then I tell her to shut up and go away. Yes. <laughs> she's like, oh, she's been a bit OT, you know, over the top, isn't she? Critical mind. And then my soul says to me or my mob, I call them, uh, now drop into your heart and re-listen to that part that you're editing. Like just physically drop into your heart and re-listen to it. And I said, okay. Yes. So I went out of the, you know, the editing mind, the critical mind, dropped into the heart, rewound and listened to that part that I thought, oh, she's been a bit over the top, isn't she? And instantly started crying with the beauty and the bliss of it. So I had two incredibly different experiences of the same thing, just witnessing yes. it or listening to it from a different perspective, from a heart space and a head space. And that just happened like not long ago, you know, a few weeks ago. And just reminding me that we're all witnessing stuff either with our hearts or with our heads and the head will criticize and judge and make wrong or right. And the heart yes. just absorbs, just listens. The heart listens, you know, the heart hears, this, the heart hears. The breath, know. the breath was the key piece to our healing. Norma began to invite me to come into my body through the breath. Now that took years and years. I'm not going to lie to you, years because my body was so brutalized. Mm -hmm. But she would say, lay your hand on your belly. I would be so hysterical. She'd say, breathe, watch your hand as it moves with your breath. Don't stay up here, drop down, consciously bring your attention to your breath. And I began to be able to help myself. And that was such a gift because I was a victim to my emotions and to the terror. And this breath became my empowerment. It is my empowerment every single day. I wake up in the morning and I breathe with me. I get in the core of me. And if I notice that I'm thinking or I'm judging, I drop down into the core in the stillness of me. For that's where my brilliance is, my compassion, yeah, my aliveness, the aliveness of who I am. Do you know that I am being guided how to awaken my body? My body, I've been massaging my body. I'm doing stretches. I'm coming even more fully into my body. Mm. And it's, it's sacred. It's actually sacred. Mm, beautiful. 
but the wisdom that we are can guide us every moment every moment you know life throws these curveballs at us you've had quite a few like a, a mountain of them but you know recently i told you i postponed this conversation because my daughter had the accident incident the shark yes. adventure bit her so she sent me a message today and i you know i even when she was born and she was born into sort of traumatic circumstances the greater part of me knew that this is what she was choosing and not to get too caught up in the drama and the nurses saw that as me being very detached from what was happening and i just was in this all is well this is what she's choosing and it's the same with the shark bite all is well this is what she's choosing and people are all in the drama of it so mm -hmm. she says to me this morning i went through some pain for the first time um, being off the meds uh, last night at two o'clock in the morning or 2 30 and i just breathed and i did reiki on it and the pain went away it's like it worked mm -hmm. and i'm like mm -hmm. i've been talking about this stuff for her whole life right but she needs to experience it to yes. understand it that it works it, she just yes. can't hear it from mum or any teacher really she has to experience it like let's get a shark to bite me to experience how i can control pain <laughs> but that's it norma would say to me over and over i cannot do this for you right. you must do this for you yes and i was like what i want you to do it i want i want your wonderfulness to splash all over me and make me good make me well yeah it doesn't work that way work everybody that way. must choose for themselves yes absolutely oh absolutely so let's talk about norma uh you know she's just called she's going through her own experience right now norma is letting go of this life she is transitioning most of her is on the other side already how old is so she? she's going to be 85 next month and she i called her at lunchtime on july 22nd and she was driving home with her caretaker lynn and she said to me the doctor says i'm dying and i what and we had known she wasn't feeling well. She and I had been working together, but never, ever, now looking back in retrospect, I can see that it's been going on for a long while. Mm -hmm. And so I was sobbing and I went to work sobbing and I said, I can't work today. I felt like I was dying. It was one of the biggest fears I've ever had over the years don't die don't die you're not going to die for a long time and i'd watch like america's got talent and see a 95 year old woman think okay mom can live to be 95. it was terrifying i had lived the experience of death so intimately because of living in the cult that i was terrified of losing her i didn't know if i could survive and what the miracle has happened what i realized is norma needed to present death in my face not just life and love and compassion and you have to understand and this is the first time i'm talking about it this globally this commitment that we made was a million percent not one thing could let be left out of this choice of her honoring me and because of my trauma with death that I had experienced, 
she had to manifest death in my face. Mm-hmm. And she has become very weak and very small and very frail. Not the lady that everybody has always known. Not the lady that I've known. And I have been working so... Jesus has been here with me just one-on-one. Kuan Yin is here too, but Jesus is just... He and I are like the front and the back of the hand. And he said, I want you to let her go now. Give permission. And on August 11th, I have been working with me and I started to shake and I started to have the chills. And I called my neighbor next door because she's also very spiritual. And I said, I, I think mom's dying. Please come sit with me. And I'm now in Colorado and she's in California. And I had visited her for a while and I'd come back and we breathed, but it wasn't Norma dying. It was her energy leaving my body. All those years, she kept depositing her energy into my body so that I could know an energy other than terror. I began to feel compassion, feel love. She held me when she went and traveled all over the world. She held me energetically, but I needed to give her energy back. And what's happened is I have become even more the one, the Serena that I've always been meant to be. And that day when she told me that she was dying, she came from the other side because I didn't realize that a large part of it, and she put her arms around me and she said, sweetie, it's been going on for a while. Mm. It's okay. Mm. And she's come to me three times. She's told me that she needs to step away from me energetically so that all of the body can leave. But mom is so committed to all of the children that she has helped all over the world, her students. And so she's having this experience of physicality and pain for many reasons. One, to manifest it in my face, but also for a greater purpose. For when she passes, the work that I am to do on this planet with her and Yeshua and Kuan Yin is to share it with the world. I've sent my book to Oprah, to Marianne Williamson, to Kelly Clarkson, to Lee Carroll, to Jeff Hoppy. I'm going to be sending it to some other people. Kelly will and it, Yes. She loves human beings. Whoa. Kelly's gorgeous. Kelly's going to pick it up. Yeah. And so is Marianne Williamson. Um, she was running for president from higher consciousness when you say so well, i'm trusting is she no longer no. okay she's no it's it's trump and biden but it, let's not get into politics oh, so she's, been, she's, been, <laughs> she's been kicked out of the race has she yes yes okay. but but her message got out there she planted some seeds and so I'm just trusting how things are evolving. I never would have guessed that I would be at the bank still and have people come up to me and go, Serena, oh my God, your book, it touched me so deeply. It's given me healings and blah, blah, blah. I mean, so I cannot plan even this experience with this woman whose body and face and eyes and hands, I know intimately that... She rocked me and wrapped me in a blanket and fed me yogurt. And she held me 
and now she's passing and I'm not deteriorating. Yeah. Do you know the strength that that gives me? Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. And she's not going anywhere. I mean, her body might disintegrate, but she'll be with you forever. You know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, the thing about that, I saw, I remember witnessing Esther Hicks from the teachings of Abraham go through the transition of her beloved Jerry. And they were such a partnership in the work they were doing in the world. And, and Abraham would say through Esther so often, you just have to get over this death thing. There is no death. And she had said that so many times. And yet, <laughs> and yet when she went through her own experience of it, you know, she fell apart. And the, the words that resonate that came out of her so often did not, did not um, help until she reestablished her relationship with Jerry from that perspective and and now she speaks uh, so openly about how she's closer to jerry now than she was when he was in his physical body because he and her are one flowing through the same body many times and yes. you know, there is an intimacy yes. that is so delicious that she didn't experience while he was you know while she would focus him through another body yeah right it's really because there's yeah. always there are always some walls and stuff and yeah. Jesus says, Serena, we will be flowing through you, feeding you energy. Mm -hmm. I mean, Garrett and I are closer now because there is an <laughs> issue of him being a man. Because yeah. I'm not in pretend when that person physically lets go of the body completely. I'm going to cry. I'm going to grieve. But I know I'm not going to disappear and die with her. Yeah, I am here. And that's the gift that she gave me. She is giving me I got to go and spend 12 days with her and minister to her body and help her walk. Mm -hmm. I gave her a pedicure and a manicure. Mm -hmm. I stroked her head. I said, I love you, mom. She said, I love you. I love you. So mm -hmm. I mean, people will never know the closeness. I mean, she walked into the, this is what Jesus said. She walked into the bowels of hell, took your hand and took you out. That took great courage. She would drive home after working with me because I lived in this little house and some child would tell her some horrific story and she would cry because she's human. Mm. But the relationship became so I mean, we talked all the time, every day, and at night even when I would wake up terrorized. So the person that I've become from that person that walked through her door in 1996 is physically different, emotionally, spiritually different. I am a living miracle. I do not say that from ego. I say that as casually as... The sun comes up in the morning and the sun sets at night. I am a living miracle. We had miracle after miracle after miracle happen as we worked. Mm. And that's my and, book is a snippet of this of the experience that we had. And you'll see many more miracles as you work with others. Yes. <laughs> yes. You're not going to be standing in that bank very much longer. <laughs> Maybe no. for another year or so. 
I, no, please, not a year. Not even, so. not, not even. Really, no, no. Yeah, I'm surprised you're still there, actually. But yeah, anyway, we all no. And Jesus, Jesus just said, "No, you don't need to be there eight months. Things are swiftly changing." Changing. Mm. Yeah, I need to fully come into my body, fully, and I didn't realize I wasn't. When there is memory, muscle memory, the tissues have been so damaged. What I'm doing is I am releasing that muscle memory so that there is no more memory in my physical being so that all of me is one congruent energy so that I am here in consciousness all the time. Yeah. And I, I've seen that happen more and more with me. Uh, I think that that's what humanity is being asked to do. You know, there is a yes. few of us call them light workers, difference makers, light weavers, starseeds, you know, whatever we call ourselves, that are doing it deliberately. But I think that that's being asked of all of humanity. Look, generations yes. will come and go before that happens. But it's no longer to, you know, just contact the spirit or the gods or the guides no. and like have a conversation and then go back into, it's like to integrate that wisdom through your daily life all the time, all the time, all the time. While still because having people, personality, yeah. Because people don't realize that this is not said from ego. This is what I've been told over and over. As I have breathed in the soul energy of who I am, I have breathed in Jesus and Kuan Yin. Mm, I am the energy, the embodiment of these beings that have walked with me. Absolutely. And people can no longer just channel the energy. They must be, be the energy. The energy. Be and I've been shown that there are light sources all over the planet that are awakening and allowing the shift because it cannot be done from the outside in, it must be done from the inside out. As each human awakens and makes the choice, it ripples upon the earth, and our energy goes down into Mother Earth. And we can make a difference, we can change the air currents we can change the energy on this planet and heal this planet. And that's what the end of my book talks about. People stop playing with fear. It's not a commodity that's casual. Don't go to movies that, are, that scare you to death because that is a toxicity that you are drinking into your body. That is death. Wake up to the truth. You are a creator. I am a creator. You see, I'm not angry at my father or my mother or the government mm -hmm. because I can't blame them. I chose this lifetime. Exactly. But it took years for that to become my truth. It wasn't just like, oh, I chose it and it's a mind story. No, it had to become the very essence of my energy, my yeah. beingness. Yeah. Well, you know, my prayer is it took you years to integrate that and it took me years to integrate my troubled you know I can't even I don't even want to compare but a troubled life into oh, being compare. being the teacher now but my prayer is that it doesn't take the rest of them you know 10 20 30 years that it can happen it doesn't yes easier you know, quicker, there's no race, but just with more ease and grace. Just yes, yes. And effort, that is effort, reality. Effortlessly. Yes. And as more people do integrate that 
divine presence as their daily life, then it allows it allows the rest of humanity to do it easily. It's like when someone broke the minute mile, then everyone broke the minute, you know, then more people mm-hmm. because it becomes a consciousness of reality instead of yes yeah that is the hundred the hundred monkeys when a hundred monkeys yeah yes and so no it doesn't have to take as long yeah no one has done it this big before and come back from it in the same lifetime is what I yeah i would i will i can well imagine i so i just want to honor you for the work (laughs) for the work that you've been doing and have done and continue to do and thank you for the work thank that you've you. done for humanity. Uh, no one's done it this big. I can well imagine. I can well imagine. Look, I haven't read the book, but just listening to some of, this, some of the things that you've said today, it's just mind-blowing. It's, it's mind-blowing. So just, it's been just fascinating and extraordinary to meet you and to hear your story. And oh, there's more work thank to you. do. And to hear about Norma and uh, I think that um, there is a, Garrett has a, a, has a message for people that are listening to this about Norma and what she's going through right now. Would you like to tell yes. us what Garrett has to say? He says he is being patient, which was not one of his strong characteristics when he was on air as a physical being. And that this, this staying that she is doing is allowing healing for many people through the energy of death to not run from it. And so he is holding her and holding the physical and waiting patiently. Nothing is a rush because remember time for them is not the time that we experience. Absolutely. Yeah. And his journey, he says, he was honored to participate in this work that she and I were doing. And I love him. You know, um, when I lived with them, when we moved here to Colorado, I'll tell this quick story. He came to Norma one day and he goes, either she leaves or I leave. <laughs> we cannot live in the same house together. He's, it was he's talking weeks. about you, obviously. Yeah. You yeah. leave or he leaves. <laughs> right. Yeah. And he wasn't used to the kind of fear I pumped constantly. He wasn't used to it. Mm -hmm. And they found a house that very day. But I always laughed because he tolerated me and I tolerated him. And I knew that I bugged him, you know, and yet I loved him. And he never, and this, I honor you, Garrett. I love you dearly. And I've told you this before. Never once Did he lose his patience with me? Never once did he get angry with me. He brought me to Colorado. He did whatever Norma needed to support this work. And for that, I'm eternally grateful. Mm. And let me say, you can find my book on multiple search engines. Just type in, I am Serena, and you can find it quite easily. Mm. And I'll have the link. I'll have our Amazon links on my webpage for people who want to support the show. They can purchase okay. it through the Amazon links and, uh, oh, I get a couple of cents. And not, not many people do that. I always forget to tell people to do that. But um, how long ago did Garrett transition? He died August 1st, um, 2017. Okay. Okay. Oh, darling one, it's just been beautiful. Thank you again. Thank you.
for Karen honoring us with your story. Yes. And it feels so right to share where she's at now. So everybody, you can let her go. Know that her time here is done, Mm. that she is not disappearing. She is so dynamically present. She's just on the other side. Mm. Please let her go. Honor her journey. Beautiful. Wow. What an amazing conversation with Serena. Wow. I was just saying to her after I turned off the recording, uh, I'd love to have more of a conversation with her. I don't know. I think it's going to be around Norma's transition. I think that's an important conversation. You know, she's gone through this amazing healing uh, process um, and she seems pretty connected to the soul aspect, which understands there is no death and we are never separate no matter what we perceive from our human perspective, you know, people die and leave and all that sort of thing. But knowing it and living it are two different things, aren't they? So uh, as she said, Norma's giving her the experience of experiencing the fact that there is no death. I mean, she's had it with, um, what did she say Norma's husband's name was? But yeah, she's chatting. You know, the thing about Serena is just, She's so amazingly psychic. She's like channeling all the masters and can speak to all the dead people. And uh, it was all a part of her journey um, with the personalities, uh, that, that connection with her psychic or that development of her psychic abilities or, um, you know, the soul and the consciousness is just so complicated, isn't it? there's so much to it that we don't understand from our human perspective. It's so fascinating. I find it fascinating. Don't you? Just fascinating. Um, I'm sure that beings that watch humans here on earth play with consciousness and being human and having personalities find it fascinating too. I'm sure we're the best sitcom program in the universe as beings from all over the cosmos are watching us go through our human experiences and human journeys playing with consciousness and fear and all that we do just fascinating uh yes i haven't read the book but she's going to send me the book so i can read it um sounds like a pretty amazing book i am serena and if you do want to support the show i will have the amazon link on my web page if you want to buy it through the amazon link it will um, give me a couple of cents you know i don't rely on that money but i do do it (laughs) as part of the way to you know monetize this show which of course i put out for free and i take off all the ads if you do see ads on my shows it's because of copyright material when i interview or have conversations with people who are musicians and i play their music uh, youtube or um, other platforms hear the music and they um, put in a copyright claim and then they put ads on my shows because they give the revenue from those ads to the musician which i'm happy with i'm fine but i'm trying to take off all the ads on my shows but i can't help that when that's not not in my control to take those ads off when youtube just decide to put the ads on and because of copyrighted material like music oh what a fascinating conversation i hope you enjoyed that and um and i hope you enjoy her book yeah she's done some big work she's done some amazing work in the world just amazing Mm beautiful Uh, i don't know really what else to say i'm sort of like in awe i'm in awe uh who's coming up i don't know 
lots of people. I know that Mary, Mary Rodwell's coming up next month in the Inner Sanctum. Where are we? September, at the beginning, I think 6th, 7th of September, 6th in the US, 7th here in Australia uh, as, a, as a guest. And I've had Mary on the show many times and in the Inner Sanctum, she's just a wealth of information about star children and the new human and her book's amazing, the new human, just amazing. And uh, yes, I love you all. And <laughs> if you want to join, please join and uh, I'll see you soon. Thanks for listening and watching. Bye for now.